Growing in God's Word and learning what it takes to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In the providence of God, since we're coming to Mark's account of the resurrection, today we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What you believe about the resurrection shapes how you look at everything else. Perhaps you've heard the story of the famous tightrope walker, Charles Blunden. He was the first person to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. In 1859, a crowd of 25,000 gathered to watch the great Blunden successfully cross the falls without use of a net or safety harness of any kind. In the weeks that followed, he crossed the falls on numerous occasions, once on stilts, once carrying a chair and sitting down halfway across, once rolling a wheelbarrow with 350 pounds of cement. With each new stunt and each successful crossing, the crowd became more enthusiastic. At one point, Charles Blondin asked the crowd if they believed he could successfully cross the falls carrying a man in a wheelbarrow. The crowd cheered wildly and acknowledged their belief that the great Blondin could do it. But when the tightrope walker tried to solicit a volunteer from the crowd, no one was willing to get into the wheelbarrow. So did they really believe that Charles Blondin could cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope, pushing a man in a wheelbarrow? Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was dead. The disciples couldn't believe Jesus was alive. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Well, we've nearly come to the end of our series through the book of Mark entitled Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Next time, we'll finish this in-depth study of the Gospel of Mark. But before we do, we come today to the greatest demonstration of Jesus' power as the real action hero. We're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. When you make up your mind to serve Jesus, you don't have to worry about the obstacles that may be in your way. Obstacles are not our business. Obedience is our business. As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, what you believe about the resurrection shapes how you look at everything else in your life. We're so glad you've joined us today for what is going to be a very important message about what we really believe about the resurrection and what that belief means for our lives. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Today, we have a classic story of bad news, good news. Bad news, they killed Jesus. Which for us, we even understand is not the way it worked out. It's not bad news for us. But, but you understand what I'm saying? Bad news, they killed Jesus. Good news, they couldn't keep him dead. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 15. How many times have I, been, have I said that over the last year or better? Mark chapter, the, Mark chapter 15 is where we are. Beginning this morning in verse 42. We're going to look at the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Now, uh, usually, uh, by the way, we're going to be celebrating that. I, I mentioned a moment ago when I was imploring you to, to invite people, but we're going to be celebrating that uh, in a couple of weeks on uh, Easter Sunday, or what I like to refer to as Resurrection Sunday. We're going to be gathering together and celebrating what the church has been celebrating together for 2,000 years, uh, the, the empty tomb and the fact that Christ rose from the dead, but since I will not be here with you on that Sunday, and in the providence of God, since we're coming to Mark's account of the resurrection uh, today, then today we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, most of you uh, who are, have been a part of cross culture for a while know that oftentimes on, on Resurrection Sunday, I like to bring 
a type of message that looks at the evidence for the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. I, I just, I love doing that. I love looking at the evidence. Because y'all may not know this, but most people have never examined the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most people believe that followers of Jesus just believe in the supernatural event, believe in this miraculous, clearly, which is what it was, just believe in this miraculous event because they have to, without ever realizing that there is actually empirical evidence to support, to substantiate the, the claim that Jesus Christ was dead three days, came back to life, and rose from the grave. They, they don't examine the evidence. Most, most people aren't even aware that, that men like uh, Simon Greenleaf, professor of law, Harvard University, men like uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, professor of uh, medieval uh, literature at Cambridge, most people aren't even realize that men and, and women like that came to faith, who were not believers, came to faith in Jesus Christ after examining the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I love talking about that stuff, but I'm not going to do that today. Oh, don't, don't worry. Sure, I'm, I'm sure some of that will, will creep into my message. I'm pretty sure some just did. But, <laughs> but instead, I, I want to focus uh, on on some historical events. We've looked at the last few weeks. I've given you these historical kind of statements and then, and then hopefully made application for our lives uh, today. But I want to focus kind of this I- on one idea. Around here at Cross Culture, we call them BP squares. We call them big picture biblical principles. And the big picture biblical principle for today looks uh, like this. What you believe about the resurrection shapes how you look at everything else. What you believe about the resurrection shapes how you look at everything else. Else, We have the text, of course, up on the screen. Um, My copy is open. Hopefully, if you have a copy uh, in in some form or fashion, you have that open. You'll follow along. I'm going to read the entire story today, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down. But I just I just wanted to read it in its entirety so that we so that we could just capture it today. Uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 42. When evening had already come because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. Chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, uh, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe. They were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who's been crucified. He has risen. 
He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others. But they did not believe them either. Verse 14, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Father, uh, I'm fully conscious that, uh, that all of your word is truth and a mixture of error. I have, I have banked my entire life and, uh, and, and calling on that fact that it is truth without any mixture of error. All of it is profitable. But, but today, I think in a special way, uh, even as last week as we, were, as we were on that hill called Calvary, we were on holy ground. Today, we again are on holy ground. For the cross and the empty tomb uh, must go together, or as the Apostle Paul says, we among all men are most miserable if Christ be not raised. So today, uh, as we just explore this idea of what you believe about the resurrection and how that shapes how you look at everything else, and as we look at uh, some of the, those involved in this story, may, may it come to life for all of us. I, I know it's easy to get distracted. I know there's lots of stuff going on. I know uh, sometimes uh, various reasons that people can, can tune out, but I'm just asking that your spirit would speak in and through me uh, and that hearts and ears and minds and eyes would be open and attuned to what you would say and what it means for our lives. Because I, I really believe that, Lord. When, we, when I shaped that, that big picture biblical principle today, I, I really think that what you believe about the resurrection shapes how you look at everything else in your life. So be glorified. Uh, that's what we want. Be glorified. May we be edified and and all the rest, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let me start, let me start with some of these uh, historical uh, statements, and then we'll, we'll work off of that. We'll get down to, back to the BP squared and what that means for our lives. First one uh, looks like this. Uh, Pilate couldn't believe Jesus was dead. Uh, I know I just read it, but... Uh, in verse 42, uh, when evening had already come because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, uh, Joseph Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He gathered up courage, went in before Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, laid him, on, uh, laid him in a tomb which he had, hewn out, had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Uh, 
Joseph of Arimathea was, as the text says, a member of the council, meaning the the religious council, the the head head guys that really dictated policy for uh, for the nation of Israel, at least where religion. Uh, was concerned. The Romans were in charge, but, you know, we've explained about the, uh, those, uh, those religious leaders. It's, it's, the council was made up of some Pharisees, some Sadducees, some scribes, and that sort of thing. And as I mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, these guys had an enormous amount of, of clout, an enormous amount of power and uh, uh, control, and, and most of them were extremely wealthy. Now, uh, Matthew, I think Matthew chapter 26 and uh, John, I think chapter 18 or chapter 19, somewhere there, uh, both tell us that Joseph of Arimathea had become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Although John says in secret uh, for fear of the, uh, of the Jews, for fear of those uh, religious Leaders. Joseph of Arimathea was, uh, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Joseph was one of those uh, who uh, was afraid of what he would lose for Jesus. Uh, but maybe uh, because of the injustice of the crucifixion, because of the fact that Jesus had been put to death and so wrongly uh, condemned and all this, maybe, but for whatever reason, uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea uh, musters up the courage to go into Pilate and to ask for the, the body of Jesus. By the way, by the way, sidebar, courage is not the absence of fear. Do you know that? Joseph had genuine, authentic fear, and, and it was well warranted. The other religious leaders were not going to be pleased to find out that Joseph had chosen to honor Jesus in this way by giving him a decent burial. Joseph has every reason to fear, and I suspect, uh, there's no account of it, but I, I suspect by, by taking this action, Joseph knows he's going to lose his seat on the council at the very least. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is action in the face of fear. You understand? Listen, following Jesus brings with it in this world a certain, certain sense of risk. Let's not kid ourselves. Taking a stand brings with it some risks, some costs. My brother Rick and I are back there talking this morning. Our life group is reading a book called In His Steps. And, uh, and we were just talking about that idea and what's behind it. And, and Rick was telling me that he could relate to it because he's, he's lost uh, radio uh, business, radio announcing business because he refused to, to say some of the things that some of the people want it to, to be said. There's financial risk. There, there can be physical risk, especially depending on which part of the world that you live in. Ask those, I think, 21 Christian men who were beheaded by ISIS a couple months ago. Let's not kid ourselves. There, 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 there can be risk, but, but courage isn't the absence of fear. It's action in the face of fear. So anyway, Joseph goes in and asks for uh, the body, and Pilate can't believe that Jesus is dead. Now, the reason that Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was dead was because uh, crucifixion, by design, was intended to be a, a, a very painful, a very slow, a very agonizing form of death. And, and now Pilate's just received word that Jesus is dead after six hours on the cross. I've read reports of men living as long as nine days before succumbing to crucifixion, before dying. 
And so Pilate's a little, he's a little shocked, he's a little mystified to, to hear that Jesus is dead. And so he asks for the, the head, the, the centurion, the guy that would have been in charge of the detail that was in charge of crucifying Jesus. The man that, the only man that would have had the legal right to certify what, what we would use, what our coroner might do these days. He was the guy that could certify that Jesus was alive or Jesus was dead. And he says to Pilate, he says, oh yeah, he's dead. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was dead. Now, where did I leave off? Watch this. Okay. Pilate can't believe he's dead. Centurion comes in, certifies that he is dead. Now, watch the next one. The disciples couldn't believe Jesus was alive. Watch what happens here, verse 47. I may not read all of this, but, but let's see. Uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, was looking on to see where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone uh, for us? Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a a young man sitting at the right wearing a a white robe. They were amazed. He says to him, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, Nazarene. He's been crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead and we'll see him in Galilee. And the women run off, but they don't believe it. They don't believe it. Now, at this point in the story, Mark comes back to the women. Remember, it left off where he said that they were, they were there as Joseph of Arimathea brought the body down and they, and they followed Joseph of Arimathea as he took the body to the tomb. They had, they'd come there and they were participating. They were part of the preparation process in, in Jewish culture of the body for, for burial. It, it encompassed some oils and spices and rubbing them on the body and wrapping the body and they hadn't had a chance to finish that. Remember, uh, in Jewish time, the day begins, the next day begins at sundown, around six o'clock, you think of it like that. The new day starts. So it was almost Sabbath. Sabbath was about to begin. And on Sabbath, the Jews could do no work. And on the Sabbath, the, the Jews were not supposed to come into contact with a dead body. So they're not able to finish the job. They, they do some, clearly they had done some, but they weren't able to finish it. And so they, they have to, to go away and they have to wait to Sunday to come back and finish the job. They didn't know it at this point, but it was a job they were never gonna get a chance to finish. By the way, did you, did you notice there in the text that it says as they were going, they began to talk among themselves and saying, I wonder who's gonna roll the stone away for us when we get there. I love that, I love that. Because, well, first off, where are the men? Where are the men? Oh yeah, right. They're hiding out behind locked doors in fear of losing their lives. I'll get to the men in a minute. But I love these women. I love what these women are doing. Because listen, they, not only are they not going to wait until the coast is clear, they're not going to wait till they get it all figured out. They're, they're, they're not going to sit around and strategize, saying, hmm, wow, well, that, that stone, that's going to be a big problem. I don't know. Maybe we better put a committee together and try and figure out how we can get this stone out of the way. No. Instead of worrying about how they were going to move the stone, they got up and moved their behinds. They got up and they, and, and they, and they, 
They just got into action. Why? Because they had a heart to serve Jesus. They wanted to serve Jesus. And listen, here's, here's, a, here's a good word for you and me today. I think I said it uh, like this. When you make up your mind to serve Jesus, you don't have to worry about the obstacles that may be in your way. You, you don't got to worry about that. Listen, listen. Obstacles are not our business. Obedience is our business. God! is in the stone-moving business and or whatever other obstacle might be in your way. Now, I, I realize that we, that we pray and we seek counsel and, and, and we, you know, I understand that there's, there's a place for all that, but when you know that, that God has laid on your heart something to do, when, an opportunity to glorify him and honor him and, and serve him, you don't have to worry about the obstacles that might be in your way. That's God's business. But anyway... So they, they get to the tomb, the stone's rolled away, they go inside, and uh, there's a, a, a white dude sitting in there. Well, I don't know if he's white or not. He's, he's wearing white. He's wearing white. And they are amazed. W- wouldn't you be? I mean, Jesus' body is not there. His clearly is this angelic being, an angel sitting there. And yet, I love the angel says, don't be amazed. Now, what's interesting about that is that most times when angels had contact with people, what is it they say? That's right, don't be afraid, don't fear. But this guy says, don't be amazed. Why? Why why is he saying don't be amazed? I would think that it's kind of natural to be amazed in uh, in that moment. I would like to think that, that he says to them, don't be amazed, because from the angel's perspective, why would you be amazed that Jesus had risen from the grave? Hello, he's God, did you really think death could hold him? Did you really think there was a stone big enough to keep him in there? And besides all of that, how many times did he say to you that he was going to get killed and then three days later he would rise again? Hello, has anybody checked the calendar today? Don't be amazed. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The disciples won't believe them. The women eventually did get their act together. They did go and they did report, but the disciples won't believe them. Mary Magdalene sees Jesus with, his own, with her own eyes. Uh, I think John chapter 20 uh, gives us that account. And she goes and tells them they won't believe her. Later on, two men are walking to, uh, on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24 gives us that account. And, and they seem and they go report it uh, to the disciples, but they won't, they won't believe them either. They they the disciples wouldn't believe Jesus was alive. I, I know we meet people like that sometimes that, that just say, no, I, just don't, I don't believe that Jesus died. I don't believe he died and rose again. They just, they just, they just couldn't believe it. Maybe, maybe that's fear, maybe it's grief. No doubt they're discouraged. No doubt they're despondent. They're, they're grieving Every hope, every dream that they had hung on that cross and now is laying in that tomb. And and it's over as far as they're concerned. They couldn't believe Jesus was alive. Now, watch this. Jesus couldn't believe that they couldn't believe. And I I know he's God, but y'all know what what I mean by that. I know he knows everything. But look at it. Look at verse 14. 
Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. He reproached them. In the original language that the New Testament was, was written, written in, it can literally be translated to scold. He scolded them. He got on to them. Why? Because, as you, because, in the Greek, because of their apostaion, their unbelief, and their sclerocardion, their hard hearts. They wouldn't believe it. And Jesus, I think, in loving motivation, shows up in their midst and says, guys, what is wrong with you? What, what is wrong with you? Never mind how many times I told you this was going to happen, but the very people that, that know you and love you and have absolutely zero motivation for lying to you have come to you and told you that I'm alive and you refuse to believe it. I can't believe that. <laughs> I cannot believe that you will not believe. But they wouldn't, or they couldn't, until that moment. Until, as, as Jesus says finally to Thomas, he, he says, uh, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand here in my side. Stop being an unbeliever and believe. Believe. Now, this is where we come back to uh, the BP squared. What you believe about the resurrection shapes how you look at everything else. Look at these guys. Look at these guys. Look at them pre-resurrection belief and post-resurrection belief. Before the resurrection, they're hiding in fear. As I said, they're, they're discouraged, they're despondent. Everything is over. This thing is finished as far as they're concerned. There's nothing else. I don't know what we're gonna do now. But from that moment, from the moment he appears, from that moment on, these guys were never the same. Everything changed for them. Everything changed. The way they looked at everything, it changed because of their belief in the resurrection. Look at Acts chapter 2. You know, a great story where Peter, all the disciples are there, and they're all part of it, but Peter stands up and he preaches to the, to the masses that are gathered there, and he tells them that they put him to death, but Jesus rose from the dead, uh, from the grave, and he is the Messiah, and, 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 th- and 3,000 souls gave their life to Jesus Christ that day. In Acts chapter 5, you have this amazing account of the disciples being beaten and, and, and thrown in jail and threatened to be killed if they don't stop talking about this Jesus thing, this Jesus guy. And there's this beautiful, beautiful statement that it says that the disciples were honored. They counted it an, an honor to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. And then you have, I think there in verse 29, you have that, that declaration where the, the Religious leaders say, you better stop, you better shut up, you better stop talking about this name. We don't want to hear it anymore. If we hear it again, we're going to kill you. We must obey God rather than men. Okay, who are these guys and what did they do with Jesus' disciples? What happened? Who are these guys? What happened to these guys? Two words, the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. It reshaped the way they looked at everything. And every one of them became bold witnesses for Christ. Every one of them, as far as we know, was put to death because of their faith in Christ, other than maybe John, who perhaps could have died of old age or been executed in his latter years. But every one of them suffered, imprisoned, put to death in various ways. Who are these guys? Only the resurrection can change that. The resurrection, what you believe about it, 
shapes how you look at everything else. Now, here's what that means for us. Let me, let me get to it real quickly. Here's what it means for us. It means that God really is God. If Jesus rose from the grave, then God really is God. God really is God. The God revealed in the Bible really is God. Jesus came to life. He has that power. Case closed. Talk to the hand. Atheist, Buddhist, Islamist, or whateverist. That's right. Whateverist. Because if Jesus rose from the grave, then he verified, he substantiated that he is God and everything else is a lie. By the way, uh, that, some of you may not know this, but uh, Muslims hold Jesus in very high, high regard. They believe that he was a great prophet, not the greatest prophet. They say Muhammad was the greatest prophet, but they hold Jesus in very high regard. But they deny the resurrection. They say, no, he, 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 never, he, he never rose from the dead. Why, why would they? Because if he rose from the dead, he, that's right, he's God. God really is God. That ought to mean something to you and me. That I, I put my faith in something that actually is substantiated, something that's actually real, something in a God that I can bank on, that I can count on, that I know will be there for me and has the power to, to meet whatever the need is in my life. God really is God. Here's the second idea that it means. Life really has purpose. Listen, I know, I know, I know, man. I know you get beat down. I know you think sometimes, oh, is this even worth it? I know you think, oh, I can't, I can't handle another day of this or the pressure or the uncertainty or the, or, or the what, whatever it is. I, I know that it happens in your life. But, but if, if the resurrection is true, if you believe that the resurrection is true, then you have to realize that your life has purpose. Your life has meaning because scripture tells us that God loves us and created us for a relationship with him. And that along with that relationship comes plans and purposes that he has for our lives. And that if we will believe it and if we'll follow him, that he will fill our lives abundantly with peace and joy and hope no matter what. If, if you believe in the resurrection, it, it, it changes your life. Third, uh, circumstances really are inconsequential. Now, I, listen to me. I am not making light of what you have or are or, or may go through. I'm, I'm not downplaying the, the, the significance of the, the pain or, that you may feel in your life at times. I, I really not. Nobody likes hard circumstances. Nobody's signing up for them. But if the tomb is really empty, if Jesus really rose from the grave, then any and all temporal circumstances are just that. They're temporal. They're passing. And, and I just want to say to you, I just want to encourage you that you have to look. In, and I know it's hard, right? When you're in the midst of that storm that's raging all around you, you have to look at that. You have to keep that perspective in your mind that this is temporary, that this is passing. And that if Jesus came back to life, if he really conquered death, then, then, then all of this in the end, in the, in the scope of eternity, it's inconsequential. Which brings us to the last Death really is defeated. Death really is defeated. I, I know we, if we or someone we love gets a, a diagnosis that can strike fear into our hearts, I know automobile accidents and all different kinds of stuff can, can happen. But if Jesus really rose from the grave, then that means that you and every other person that would place their faith in him will also someday rise from the grave. That death is defeated means that death is defeated for you. 
for you. Say that. Say, death is defeated for me. Say it. Death is defeated for me. Not because of anything you did, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but as John said earlier as we were, as we were, as we were worshiping him, but because he obtained it for us. He purchased it for us. And when he spoke the most important words that have ever been spoken in the history of the world, when he spoke or shouted those words on the cross, it is finished. He meant it. He meant the sacrifice had been paid. He meant atonement had been purchased. And he meant that salvation had been made possible for every single person who would call upon the name of the Lord. Death really is defeated. You may feel defeated in your life at times. You may just want to check out. But God really has defeated the grave. And eternal life is a result of what he has done. And it is yours. It is ours. What you believe about the resurrection ought to shape how you look at everything else. It ought to shape how you look at your life. It ought to shape how you look at your circumstances. It ought to shape how you look at other people. And most importantly of all, it ought to shape how you look at God. Because it means that God really is the all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God who has defeated the grave, procured eternity for all of those who would turn to him and is preparing a place that you and I might spend whatever all eternity might be, whatever all it might look like, that we might spend eternity, eternity, eternity with him. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Well, there you have it. As Pastor Clay showed us today, if the resurrection is true, then it means that God really is God. Life really has meaning. Circumstances are really inconsequential. And death is really defeated. The question is, do you believe it? If you do, it should shape the way you look at everything else in your life. Clearly, the disciples' lives were changed after seeing Jesus in person after he rose from the dead. You and I are called to believe as well. So what about it? Do you believe? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. 
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.